This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Coming up on today's show, does news coverage of, be it unscientific or hate-filled rhetoric actually make the problem worse by amplifying it. Ottawa police have moved in to clear the convoy blockades. We'll chat with an expert in the policing of protests. And how do you handle a pregnant gorilla in the time of COVID? So we have the operation taking place in Ottawa today, and it's it's a perfect... Um, microcosm it's sort of the it's the world that we live in now if you see any of the pictures that are on social media and you will or on television or anything like that and you take a look these these police officers are standing there they're, they're confronting the protesters and saying it's time to go we're going to arrest you i would say if not every single one of the protesters the vast majority well over 90 percent of them have their phones out and are filming and facebook living and youtube streaming the entire event this is the world we live in now, right? It, everything that happens and a lot of what's happening in Ottawa right now is being done for the social media club. There's no question about it. I mean, these people live on social media. They, it, it, it's part of the, it's part of the, the, the rush. It's, it's part of the way that this, this, if you're wrapped up in this movement in a big way, um, you, you know the drill, right? They've got apps. They've got YouTube streams, they've got Facebook lives, all, the whole thing. They know the channels, they know, and, and it's constant. It's a constant barrage of social media. Now, for people like us in mainstream media, you know, journalists, talk show hosts, for sure, we find ourselves in a really tricky, tricky spot in 2022 because, you know, misinformation is a thing, and it's a big deal. There's no question about it. And I know you guys think that we have our narratives and all the rest, and that's fine. I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm just saying, for people in this information realm that have always been in this and have an understanding on how information works. There's a big debate about what the best approach is to this new world that we're living in now. Um, When you spend time trying to debunk some of the misinformation, do you just add more noise to the nonsense and makes it that much bigger? I mean, is it better to ignore? Do you talk about it or does that just increase the awareness? I mean, what's the best way to do this? Now, when you have a nationwide protest like we've had for weeks now in Ottawa, it's news. We cover it. You know, borders are closed. We cover it. Parliament Hill shut down for three weeks. We cover it. But there's a lot of you that I hear from saying, stop talking about this. Stop giving them so much attention. That's what they want. And I get it. You're right. I agree with you in some ways. But like I say, it's news. It's not easy. So we're going to talk about that now. We're going to have a chat with uh, Dr. Barbara Perry, the director for the Center on Hate, Bias, and Extremism at Ontario Tech University. Doctor, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. What are your thoughts? This whole information environment that we live in now is tough. It's, it's, it's so different and it's so wide open. What is the approach? I mean, do we do more harm than good by talking about hateful rhetoric or misinformation, is it better to ignore it or is it better to try and talk about it? Well, you're in a tough situation. Uh, I think, it, it, I mean, this is a conversation I've had with a lot of journalists over the past five or six years about, you know, the far right, for example, not just misinformation and disinformation. Uh, and, you know, it's a question of how much oxygen is, is too much oxygen. 
Um, yeah. And, and you know, I, I really like the way that you sort of, you know, you start off and you're talking about the, the impact of social media and those ecosystems that people are engaged in there. Uh, and then the mainstream media become one of those elements uh, that sort of tries to insert itself into this conversation, if you will, um, by, by countering um, some of that or, you know, reporting on the science as we know it. And I think that's one of the difficulties, right, that the science has changed over time. Um, so I think that there's absolutely an important role to media need to sort of be the, um, oh, I don't even know how you would phrase it, but uh, certainly do need to have a voice there uh, to counter some of the misinformation, some of the conspiracy theories that are circulating so broadly in, uh, in social media in particular, because, you know, what happens is there's not a lot of challenging going on in those chat rooms, right? Everybody is oh, yeah. producing the same narrative again and again. Um, so I think it's important that, you know, you sort of bring these problems to light, the the kinds of disinformation people are being exposed to. Um, but then I think the, the next role that you need to play is, uh, you know, sort of deconstructing uh, some of that as well and providing uh, I think pointers to tools and resources that people can use if they want to engage more uh, critically and, and more effectively. Um, so, you know, and, and I know that many people now aren't necessarily you know, listening, sorry, but aren't necessarily listening to the radio or watching TV for their news. They're also getting that oh, yeah. uh, online. So, you know, providing links and resources on your on your websites to, um, you know, sort of legitimate, dare I use the term, um, uh, sources. Now, you know, for those at the extremes, that you're not going to change their mind. They won't. They deny science. They reject science. Um, but it's it's really the mushy middle, right? The people who yes. are uncertain, the people who are you know exposed to this maybe through family members or their friends on you know their social media uh, platforms. You know, provide some op- options for them. Some provide some spaces for them. And I think you know more broadly, we have a responsibility to enhance um, you know their their ability to read through. Um, you know, some of the, the, the bold-faced lies, to be honest, uh, and, uh, and disinformation, uh, and to be more, more reflective and critical uh, readers of the, or, or observers of the pieces they're being exposed to. But, Doctor, here's the problem I have with that. I agree with everything you're saying, but that works under the assumption that um, all information is welcome and, um, mm-hmm. and is, is worthy of being heard out. There are a lot of people that are listening right now, as a matter of fact, that no matter what I say, I'm lying. Before I even start, before I you're the say, media. Uh, yeah. I'm the media. I'm the, not yeah. only am I the media, I'm the mainstream media. I've got a narrative straight from George Soros. They don't give a damn what I say about anything. I'm a liar. So uh, for, for a lot of people, it's kind of like, there's no point in even starting going down this road. The, the decision's already been made. So how do you counter that? Well, that's that's what I'm saying. That uh, you know, those at the at the fringes, those at the outer edges, you're not gonna you're not gonna walk them back. Um, they are so committed uh, to their position, uh, and even if they're beginning to doubt it, right? They've put enough time and energy and and uh, sort of reputation yeah. uh, into it that it's it's hard for them now to uh, to walk it back. Yeah. Um, so you know, for fear of being then seen as a traitor or, or something. So, um, so as I say, I don't, you know, I, we're, we're not going to counter them. No. I think the issue is to really educate, uh, you know, the bulk of us who maybe are uncertain, um, you know, don't know what to believe, um, but to help to, you know, provide resources for them, help educate them so that they can 
you know, carry those resources forward and engage in those sorts of conversations. Because, um, you know, you're going <laughs> to, sadly, uh, there are a lot of people who are more likely to believe something they read on, uh, you know, on, or see on Instagram than they are uh, something they see on, you know, CBC News or Global News. Sure. Um, so, if it makes them feel yeah. good, they will accept it. It doesn't matter where yeah. it comes from. It's gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so, the determining factor in a lot of these people, areas. We need people meeting, you know, um, uh, meeting them where they live, uh, if you will, <laughs> in those social media ecosystems and trying to break through. I think, you know, many, many people have, uh, well, for good reason. You know, people are afraid to engage sure. uh, with, with people who are at the extremes, either end of the extreme, any extreme. Uh, but, you know, I think we need to find that strength um, to to be able to, you know, to, to at least ask questions. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to be lecturing. That's counterproductive. Yeah. You know, you're wrong, you're wrong, yeah. you're wrong. Yeah. But to ask questions, well, why? Where do you, you know, where did you come up with that? What was the, what's the rationale? What's the source of your information? So, you know, beginning to poke holes that way. Um, and I think, you know, that's much more effective than, you know, just simply lambasting people. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating time. It really, truly is. Uh, doctor, thanks so much for your time this curse, morning. The curse, right? May you live in interesting times. <laughs> exactly. Not this interesting. Yeah. <laughs> doctor, thank you for your time. You have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks very much. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your roi it's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions that's wonder made possible learn more at evernorth.com wonder all right continuing to watch what's unfolding in our nation's capital right now and it's been uh, well it's been quite a day um Police in Ottawa moving in to deal with the situation that's been ongoing for three full weeks now. To this point, we're being told about 15 people arrested so far today. A few trucks have been moved, but hundreds remain. I've seen uh, some footage of uh, police basically in a standoff with a line of protesters outside of the Westin Hotel, uh, and that escalated to some pushing and shoving, and one uh, protester was thrown to the ground and taken away and arrested. So uh, there has been confrontation. It has not been 100% peaceful in wrapping this up, and we'll have to wait and see how it goes because there are still hundreds and hundreds of police officers, some of them on horseback, all kinds of vehicles, and there's the trucks to deal with, and as they move closer to the trucks, the horns start up. Those trucks aren't empty. There's people in a lot of them. And a really troubling tweet from Ottawa police came out about a half an hour ago saying that uh, the protesters have put children in between the police operation and the active protest area. They say that the children will be taken to a safe place. So um, that's obviously very concerning. But what is it like trying to deal with a situation like this? And I think part of the consideration for Ottawa police right now today is we got to do this, but we don't want this to turn into something that we can no longer control. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how they're keeping their cool. I don't know how they're managing to do this, but let's chat now with Howard Ramos, who's a professor and chair at the Department of Sociology at Western University and an expert in the policing of protests. He joins us now. Um, Mr. Ramos, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Well, my pleasure. Good morning. I imagine you, like many people, keeping a close eye on what's happening in our nation's capital. It all seemed to start last night. Some of the organizers were arrested, and then things got quiet for a while. But this morning, things seem to have been fairly 
directed and determined that this is going to end today? Yes, it appears that the police are now moving in and it's evolving as we speak. Uh, the police have begun to close in, in using uh, a formation. Uh, there's been some pushing and shoving uh, in front of the, the Weston Hotel. Uh, and, and it's alarming to see that there's a, a kind of entrenching of the protesters yeah. at this point and, and using children as human shields, which is something that's really unprecedented in Canada. Yeah, that's very disturbing. We'll keep an eye on that throughout the day. That's the latest from Ottawa Police. But let's back up a little bit here before today with what took as long as it did in the situation that we saw. And there's a lot of criticism around police. As somebody who studies policing around protests, what are your thoughts on what we saw in Ottawa over the past three weeks that led us to this point we're at today? Well, I think that it's really important to take a step back and look at other protests when we take a look at how long it's taken police to intervene in the way that they're intervening. If you look at the Ferry Creek protests or the Wet'suwet'en, uh, there was a measured and, and prolonged uh, and measured kind of uh, uh, waiting out of the protesters. Um, in both cases, uh, months if not years uh, before the police came in in a, in a heavy-handed way. Uh, so having this kind of period of making sure that the police have sufficient numbers and personnel is not uncommon. And uh, when you look at even something like the Tyendinaga protests in 2019 of the rail blockage of the CN rails, it was about two weeks before the RCMP moved in uh, with heavier tactical operations. So it's not uncommon for police to take this approach. What is different in this protest are some of the divisions we've seen within the Ottawa Police Service, yeah. uh, where the rank and file weren't following the command of uh, Chief Slowly uh, in, in the way that he was articulating it, as, as well as some of the images we see on social media of OPP, which are the provincial police, uh, praising some of the protesters en route, uh, and some of the images we see of even uh, protesters in police cruisers. That's not very common and, and is uh, not normal policing. So... And as you say, I think a lot of it was sort of waiting and sorting out the internal politics around the Ottawa police force and waiting for reinforcements. And And I've heard from reporters today that there's police officers from as far away as Vancouver uh, in Ottawa today, and they have huge numbers. Uh, there's just hundreds of officers there. So this, what's happening today and what we've seen today, obviously a lot of planning. How long have they been working on this with, with checkpoints and, pe- and reinforcements? I mean, this is a major operation, right? This is a very big operation, and uh, it is drawing on police forces from different provinces and different cities. And uh, really, it's important to take into consideration that in order to exert this kind of operation, the police need to outnumber the protesters. Otherwise, it's not going to be successful. And... uh, I, I don't know yet how many numbers are involved, but this is probably one of the bigger police operations we've uh, seen in Canada. And, and it's also the first time we've seen the use of the Emergency Act yeah. as a mechanism to try and coordinate. What do we know about how these kinds of operations unfold and what the considerations are and what kind of planning would have gone into it? Like, what would be the focus today? Because it looks like they're being very slow, very methodical, and it looks like they're really trying to invo- avoid escalation almost as much as they are looking to end it. 
Well, modern police tactics tend to try and focus on de-escalation when possible. And you can see that, uh, for example, in Emerson, Manitoba, where the RCMP tried to de-escalate over moving in with force. Uh, You can even see that in Coots, uh, Alberta, where the police RCMP moved in quickly, uh, but then retreated after uh, a car rammed through uh, their efforts. And and then they waited for reinforcements. And and same with the Ambassador Bridge, where you see um, a measured account. Um, But what we're going to see today in in Ottawa is is once that measured uh, account uh, fails, uh, the pressure increases and, and heavier tactics are used. Uh, and you can see in the Ottawa operation that they first tried to cut off the leadership or whatever leadership they could cut off. They put up fences to try and corral folks. They've brought in with warning uh, an opportunity to leave, and now they're coming in with a heavier hand. And there's no turning back, obviously, if you're police. Once you start with this kind of an operation, you have to see it through. I do not see this uh, stopping. Uh, it may take more than today. Um, but one of the things that are also quite concerned about uh, is the protesters have a number of people with military and police backgrounds uh, that are helping organize. And when you look at the organization and the discipline of the protesters, uh, this is a quite organized effort. And as that becomes the case, uh, there are concerns with the links to extremist groups uh, that it could get ugly and there's plenty of fuel and vehicles vehicles and it's unknown what's inside the vehicles. Yeah. So police are being cautious, which is important to do. And it takes due diligence, especially in an urban core. Something that people often don't take into account is it's very different to try and clear people in Emerson or Coots, which are highways in, in surrounded by open fields. It's a very different thing in the urban core of a city where people can duck into buildings, they can go into underground pathways. It, it's a very different environment and a much more difficult uh, policing operation. And not to mention there's thousands of civilians in the area that live there as well. That has to be a consideration too. Oh, for sure. If you look at the red zone, uh, there are apartment buildings and hotels that are within that red zone. And and this is also part of what the police are taking into account. it's hard to tell what, where this will go at this point. Um, it definitely seems to be escalating by the minute, uh, and, and hopefully this can resolve uh, as peacefully as possible. Yeah, I think we're all going to be watching and, and hoping the same thing. Um, thank you so much for your time today, uh, Mr. Ramos. I appreciate you joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. That is Howard Ramos, who is a professor and chair of the Department of Sociology at Western University. He's an expert in the policing of protest. Great story out of Calgary that I want to get to before we're done for the week. You know, as we know, Alberta's mask mandate is expected to be gone, along with all other public health measures on March 1st. That's the target date. Anyway, if hospital um, hospital numbers do what it's expected, they'll do. Some debate in places, though, as you know, about whether or not it's time to lift mask mandates. And um, Calgary City Council says, yeah, we're going to. Edmonton City Council says, no, I don't think we are going to. Um, And then there's discussion around kids and schools and all the rest. It's not a settled debate by any stretch of the imagination. But here's something you probably never had to consider. Um, If you go to the Rainforest Building at the Calgary Zoo, you're being asked to keep a mask on. Why? To keep the gorillas safe. It's true. It's an interesting wrinkle in all of this that I hadn't thought of. So to get some details on what's happening, we're going to chat now with uh, Jamie Dorgan. Jamie is Director of Animal Care at the Calgary Zoo. Uh, Jamie, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me on. So yeah, just tell us what's going on here. I mean, obviously something you got to be very concerned about. What is the situation that you need people to keep masks on? 
Yeah, we've been obviously for two years uh, working really hard to keep our animals safe. And what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of species, uh, other species other than people, are also susceptible to uh, to COVID-19. So um, we have a bunch of species that we need to look after, and we've had extra measures in place all the way along. And and now that... um, the mass mandate looks like it's going away and it's already started to uh, to be reduced. We and our gorillas share the same airspace as people in our Trans-Alta Rainforest building. We just want to make sure that we're, we're putting that extra level of precaution in place in that building. Do we know what happens to some of these other species that may be susceptible to COVID? Like if a gorilla were to get infected with COVID-19, do we know what the potential outcome could be? Yeah, absolutely. We've, um, you know, we we have a lot of other zoos that we work with and and we're very, very well aware of what we've seen in other zoos. So, you know, I'm very proud of our team and our community keeping our animals safe so far. And we've had no COVID cases in any of our animals in Calgary, but we do know a lot of other zoos have had issues. Um, There's been zoos that have had COVID spread through their gorilla troops and had some pretty significant illness. Uh, You know, the gorillas are very closely related, related to us, so they have a lot of the same types of signs and symptoms. So we're concerned about that. And we know also that we've had some uh, other species that have actually died from it. So snow leopards seem to be very susceptible and we've seen snow leopards die. We've seen some lions and tigers die from COVID as well. Wow. Okay. Yikes. I didn't know that. And and on top of all this, you you have you have a pregnant gorilla, right? Uh, That's almost due to give birth. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, we're obviously very excited about that. And we're really happy for her and for the troop and and uh, everybody's really excited, but, you know, it puts that extra yeah. level of concern in, in our minds, right? Just saying, oh, we, you know, we really don't want her to have to go through that extra stress right now if, if they do get sick. What about vaccines? Are we vaccinating animals against COVID-19? Is that possible? We're actually working our way towards that. We've seen some zoos in the U.S. vaccinate some animals with a with an animal-specific vaccine, okay. and it seems to be helping with some species. You know, um, obviously very early. The data is not there's not a huge amount of, of data on it yet, but we see we seem to be getting some information that there's some decent coverage to some species, and we're really. We're hopeful we'll get vaccines in our hands soon, but even if we get them next week or within the next month, it's going to take us a while to yeah. get all those animals vaccinated and to get the boosters in and, and get that coverage that we want to see. So bottom line is, regardless of what happens with the mandates, you are in a position where, and understandably, you need to keep some special precautions in place for the, the health and welfare of the animals. Yeah, absolutely. We've, As I said, we've been doing this for two years and, and continually kind of working with the changing information, adjusting as we go. and. You know, all we're really asking from people right now, you know, as we've gone through kind of risk analysis of all these species, we've done a great job of separating and creating good distances, creating good barriers. And in most cases, we're good, even without masks. Yeah. But for this one building where people share air with the gorillas, we're just going a little bit above and beyond there and asking people to help us out. And, you know, we expect, um, you know, that won't be a problem. People yeah. have been fantastic in helping us keep the animals safe for the, for two full years, and we, we know we'll get support, uh, continued support in that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you will. I agree. Uh, fascinating stuff. Thanks so much, Jamie. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for the chat. You bet. That's Jamie Dorgan, who is Director of Animal Care, Health, and Welfare. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.